Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 5, Episode 10, brought to you by Lifetree at PaintRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. My name is Rick, again. I'm the author of The God Who Fights For You, which released last year, and before that, Spiritual Grit, and before that, The Jesus-Centered Life, and I'm the general editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible, and I've been telling you that I've just finished the long, 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 I wish I could add more longs, but the long process of writing the Jesus Center Daily, a 365-day devotional that I'm really excited about. It'll be coming out October 6th, and we'll have uh, some episodes uh, leading up to that release and some ways for you to get involved in maybe getting, uh, ooh, would you like an early copy of the Jesus Center Daily? Hmm. Uh, Maybe you would like that, and maybe you'd like to be part of the little team of people that in the course of your normal uh, social media activity gets the word out about the Jesus Center Daily. So we'll talk more about that as the year goes on. But today we're in the sixth episode of a new series that I'm calling Foundations. And it basically means we're exploring just foundational questions and foundational truths connected to Jesus and his mission in our lives. So today we're going to be focusing on something I'm calling Yes, no, and maybe. Yes, no, and maybe. <laughs> we'll get to what that means in just a second. But on this episode, um, my daughter Lucy is joining me again. Hi, Lucy. Hello. She is right there in her dorm room at Colorado State University. Dorm room. I definitely oh, live sorry. in the house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a slip of the tongue. Yeah, she's she's no freshman. That's right. <laughs> Only a freshman would live in the dorm, so she lives exactly. in a house. Don't confuse lives, me with a freshman. Yeah, she lives in a, a house just off campus, and she is uh, right now huddled in her bedroom uh, recording this with me. So what have you been doing today, Lucy? <laughs> um, well, I work as an admissions ambassador for CSU, so I give tours for the university. So normally I'm giving tours for like prospective students. Um, but today for the first time ever, I got to give a golf cart tour to some more important people at CSU and some like counselors from different districts and stuff. So that was exciting. And so then, th- they require a golf cart because they're so old and decrepit. They cannot walk the tour. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> so yeah. that and then just doing homework at a coffee shop has been my day so far. Ah, yes. The days of a college student taking dignitaries around in a golf cart and studying in a coffee shop. (laughs) So um, today we're going to explore together, Lucy and I, something that really gets at the core of trust in our relationship with Jesus. It's sort of fundamental to how we actually relate to Jesus, I would say, on a day-to-day basis. So I thought it'd be interesting to to uh, reference something the Apostle John wrote in his first letter in 1 John. Now, John, remember, was the youngest of all the disciples. He's the only one that was not martyred. So he died of old age, imprisoned on the island of Patmos. And he is also the the disciple who always referred to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. So he so identified himself as beloved by Jesus that that's how he referenced himself. So in this uh, of his first of his three letters. These letters were written when he was an old man toward the end of his life. So keep that in mind. But this little uh, passage is from 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And here's what he says. And we are confident that Jesus hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he'll give us what we ask for. So here, uh, John is essentially saying, I'm confident that Jesus hears me, and when I ask for something that pleases him, I know that he's listening to me, and because I know he's listening to me when I make that request, I know he's going to give me what I ask for. So uh, the question arises, though, in our actual life, in our actual experience of life with Jesus, it ain't that simple. (laughs) There's like lots of things that we want and ask for, and we think, how could this possibly not please him? How could, there, how could there be a downside to this thing? 
and it doesn't happen the way we think it should happen. And that causes this tension and dissonance. And it can lead to people being so disillusioned that they just abandon him. They abandon their relationship with him because they have set up a system of thinking that says, if I ask him for something that there's no reason to say no to, and he says no to me, what is going on? I can't trust him. I can't trust him. The system doesn't work. I know, Lucy, you have, uh, I'm sure, experiences in yourself and also know friends who are in this situation where they've wrestled over, why is this not happening the way I thought it should? And then that starts to eat like termites at the core of their relationship with Jesus. Anything pop into your head when you think about that? Um, When you were talking about that, I just um, was brought to mind. I have a friend who whose sibling um, um, was really sick for a while. And this friend would always hurt, um, this friend and her family were always praying and praying like, God, please heal her. God, please heal her. And she wasn't being healed. And so there was um, frustration in like, why God, won't you heal my family member who's sick like there doesn't seem like there's any reason why you would say no to this and we're we've been praying for so long for you to heal her um and just like walking through a lot of frustration with her over just like why won't god answer this prayer in my life that's it's even interesting the way that you said that because it's the way we always say it why won't god answer this prayer what we really mean is why didn't god answer yes to this prayer it's not so much that uh, so the re- the title of this episode, Yes, No, Maybe, are really the whole menu of options we have in any relationship. When someone asks us of something in any relationship, we have three options, yes, no, and maybe. And Jesus yeah. has those three options too. But when we say, why doesn't Jesus answer my prayer? We really mean, why didn't he answer yes? Because maybe he answered no or maybe, but we just can't understand how he possibly could have chosen those two uh, other than right. uh, other than yes. So this, uh, th- this relationship that we have with Jesus where we are, and he's encouraged us to ask for things. He's not, he's not uh, offended or uh, he, he's not put off by us asking him things. It's actually a big part of our relationship with him in a practical way on, a, on an everyday basis. We are coming to Jesus asking for things. And the, that means that we have like uh, thousands of opportunities to be in dissonance because things don't always happen the way we wish in life. So what is going on there? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this asking and receiving really colors our relationship with him and has the potential to be like an IED, an improvised explosion device in our relationship with him. We just hit one of these things and it blows up our relationship. Suddenly we're disillusioned and we don't understand what's going on. So, so I think it's important for us to explore what is happening in our asking and receiving and because it's so important in the foundation of our trust with him. So I thought it'd be fun to start off, Lucy, with a, a game I'm sure you've played before because you were in youth ministries throughout your life. <laughs> and at some point you played this game, Would You Rather, correct? Uh, definitely. All right. At least once. <laughs> oh, man. Never, you know, for an audience, though. This is yeah, this, yeah, this, this will be fun to put you on the spot. So, <laughs> so the Would You Rather game is, is very simple. You give the person a choice between two, two things, and they have to choose which one they would rather. So let's, let's start off with that. So uh, we'll then discuss why you chose what you chose after each oh, one. So that'll be interesting. So first one is, would you rather lose the ability to read or lose the ability to speak? Would you rather lose the ability to read or lose the ability to speak? Which one would you choose? Wow, there's a long pause, (laughs) looking off into the sunset. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm an English major, so that like hits close to home. (laughs) Yeah, you need need both reading and speaking, is what you're saying, yeah. I think I would lose the ability to read. I'd, I'd I'd rather keep my ability to speak. And why is that? Why would that slightly win out over reading? Because I am a verbal processor and the way I connect with people is through talking. And I think the way I learn most about Jesus is actually through like talking with other Christians mm. about faith and God. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think okay. if I couldn't talk, I would feel very, very isolated and alone. There you go. Second one. Would you rather spend the rest of your life 
with a sailboat as your home or an <laughs> RV as your home. So if you had to live in one or the other the rest of your life, a sailboat or an RV as your home, which one would you choose? I guess an RV because oh, I can why? go anywhere. Whereas if I'm in a no, boat. It I'm... can't go in the ocean, Lucy. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's true. With a boat, I feel like I'm more limited with the places I can live. And I don't particularly love the ocean. I like the mountains more. So yeah, you know, I can't... in a boat would, would make it where I'd have to live somewhere I don't like as much. That's good. <laughs> So would you rather, here's the third one, would you rather be in jail for a year or lose a year off your life? Would you rather be in jail for a year of your life or simply lose that year off your life? Which would you lose rather? Lose it like at the end of my life, like instead right. of dying when I was 78, I'd die when I was 77. You, yeah, you just wouldn't, you, would, you wouldn't have that extra year in your life. And the option is you'd have to live, you'd get that year of your life, but it, that year would be in prison. That's a tough one. Yeah. It means it's Would it kinda, be my 78th year that I was in prison? No, no. I can't, don't oh. get technical here. So okay. it just means that is that year in jail wasted anyway, and so it doesn't matter? Or do you find that there's something valuable about a year of life even though you're in jail? I, I guess I choose the year in jail because I guess I could, it could end up being a really profound experience in my life. Yeah, on the other it, hand, if my last year of life is like in a like on my deathbed, basically, you know, oh, and you committed life. a crime while you were on your deathbed, so <laughs> severe, you get sent to jail for a year. <laughs> yeah. You don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, you shooting at people out your window, yeah, <laughs> or something. Okay, we'll just say that you would rather spend a year in jail than lose a year. Okay. And the fourth one: Would you be? Would you rather be forced to dance? every time you heard music or forced to sing every time you heard a song sing along oh, with that song. that's terrible because i am not good at either of those things so i'm humiliated either way <laughs> so either, either you're forced to dance when you hear music or you're forced to sing along with the song whenever you hear a song i think Which, i do dance because i can kind of be more subtle with dancing you know yeah. like i can almost make it unnoticeable if I'm dancing singing everyone's gonna know I think you'd be super embarrassing at a restaurant or in a movie theater but oh. go ahead that's fine if you want to dance every time you hear music well, that I means when you're watching the movie and the music comes on you have to I get up just, and... no no I could just kind of move my arms and my head a little bit you know oh if you want to be a dork when you're dancing <laughs> but I guess that's okay so dancing is what you choose here's the last one um would you rather have whatever you're thinking appear above your head in like a thought bubble oh no or 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 um have everything you do live streamed for everyone to see oh no i'd rather have everything i do live streamed really you don't want people to see inside that cranium of yours i think so many weird things today <laughs> it, would, it would get really weird really fast yeah. <laughs> at least with live streaming what i'm doing i have a little bit more control yeah so, uh, so let's just uh, think back over this experience where you had to choose between these two. Um, of course, if we asked these questions to a group of people, there'd be a wide variety of answers. Mm -hmm. why, why do you think there's not a universal answer to all of these questions? Like everyone agrees, I would rather live in a sailboat than an RV or the opposite. Why is it that there are, that there are no universal um, winners in a would yeah. you rather thing? Why, why do you think that is? I, I think it's because everyone um, is different, has different life experiences, and has different things that are more important to them. So like the first question about like talking versus reading, um, for maybe a more introverted person who like reading is really crucial to them and their relationship with Jesus, like that might be like the thing they would rather keep in their life over talking. So um, it kind of, I think, depends on I think people are so varied and so different that there's no way that we could come to a consensus on, yeah. on certain things like this. So all that rustling noise you just heard, podcast listeners, was Lucy shifting ever so I'm slightly. So sorry. I barely moved. Yeah, she did barely move, but we all heard it, didn't we, gang? We oh all heard gosh. what she did. So that, I, I think that's true that, that, we're, that, these, that there, there can't be like a prescribed answer for all these like, this is the right answer for this, for everybody. Um, so already we've introduced some uncertainty into the world of things we wish would happen. 
right? Because yeah. all of us are quite different and, and, and the right answer has to be tailored to who we are as people. Right. So let me ask you this. If, if I chose one of these, like um, I'll choose the first one. You said you would rather lose the ability to read than lose the ability to speak. But what if I said, uh, I'm in charge of you and I choose differently. I choose that from this point on, you're losing the ability to speak and you'll, you'll only have the ability to read. Um, now you can't speak anymore. I mean, uh, how would that impact you if you had someone else choose for you? Because this, this activity was you choosing which one you wanted. Right. Let's say someone like me had the authority to control that and just chose differently. How, what would that feel like for you? Um, much more frustrating. I think I would get angry <laughs> um, because all of a sudden, like, not only do I have to live with this, but I didn't even get to make the decision for myself. I just have to live with the consequences of it. So I think I'd be very frustrated. <laughs> do you think that that, so here's another would you rather, is that more unfair or is that just life? Like when something happens that you didn't have control over and it's not what you would have chosen, is that do we do you process that as that's unfair or do you process that as that's just life that's what happens which which one do you lean toward in that i think my initial response is that's not fair and then my um after a little bit of time my response becomes well that's just life so i think my initial gut reaction is that's not fair but um why would you say that's just life why why would you gravitate to that after the initial reaction um, because I think there's so many areas of our life which we think um, we have this facade of control in, um, but it, we actually have way less control in our lives than we think we do. We want to believe that we're in complete control of our lives and that all the decisions we make um, like affect our lives, but um, we are like community-oriented people, so we're always around other people and other factors. So as much as I think we we wish um, that all of our decisions were our own lots of times they're not. Yeah. So the, 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 here's the last question for you. Thinking about this whole thing of, of being able to choose or not to choose. So if you had a system that guaranteed that you'd get whatever you wanted in a would you rather situation, what are the pluses and minuses of that? Like, like you had a way of whatever, whichever one you chose, you were guaranteed to get. What are the pluses and minuses of that system? Um, I mean, the positives would be, it would be my own choice. So I would have to, it would be maybe a little easier to live with my decision because you knew I made the choice and I do know myself well. So hopefully I'd pick things that I could live with better. Um, but the minuses of that would be like, Sometimes I don't know myself very well, or I don't think through things as well. So I guess the, the negative would be it, the ball is completely in my court. I, and there's kind of a fear also in being in complete charge of something like that. That's interesting because we think what we, what we think we want is, is exactly this, that if we're confronted with two choices, what we think we want is Right now, I would rather this than that, mm -hmm. but it does put a lot of burden on us. And yeah. it's true that sometimes the choices we make now, we're blind to the consequences of those choices. And yeah. we're also blind to, if we had chosen the other thing, where would that have led us to? What, would, what might that have meant in our life? We don't know any of that either, right? So yeah. I've I mean, actually, yeah, with, with some of my friends as I've grown up, um, I've witnessed them wanting control over things and then when things don't go the way they thought they were going to go to almost like all of a sudden like oh wait I should not have been given that much control like I don't want that much power over these decisions so so it kind of backfired yeah but, yeah that's interesting so I thought it what would be interesting to get at some of this because we're 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 gonna we're kind of gonna swirl around in this arena of the things that we want but not getting the things that we want and how this relates to our relationship with Jesus and what we expect of him, what we think he's supposed to be doing. 
And when he doesn't do what we what he's supposed to do, well, where does that leave our relationship? I thought it'd be interesting to explore a parable like Jesus often did. This one's going to be a contemporary parable. Uh, this is from a film you've seen before, Lucy. It's called The Truman Show. Yeah, uh, it's one of the great sort of discussion movies of all time for talking mm -hmm. about Jesus and and kind of the kingdom of God. Uh, the Truman Show, let me just set it up for you, th those listeners who have never seen the film before. And then we're going to actually listen to a little part of the dialogue at the very end of the film. You'll be reminded of th this scene, uh, Lucy, when you hear it. But The Truman Show is about uh, a man who was raised from birth on the set of a reality show, but he doesn't know it's a reality show. So he was born in sort of this uh, biosphere that was created for this reality show. It's a domed TV set that's absolutely enormous. It's bigger than a city. Um, and it's, it's a domed uh, environment that as far as Truman, the protagonist in the movie, the, the boy that was born as a baby on this set and was raised um, in a family on this set that weren't really his parents, they were all actors. And as he grew up, everybody that he knows in his town is they're all actors who are paid to be on the show. He just doesn't know it. He doesn't realize there's cameras everywhere recording every aspect of his life. And he doesn't realize that his whole life is being broadcast to millions and millions of people around the world. It's the most popular TV show that, uh, in the world, uh, but he doesn't know it. But he begins to suspect that there are some things that don't fit for him. As he gets older, so in the film, he's, he's, let's say he's in his late 20s, early 30s by the time you see him in the film. And he's starting to suspect that there's something tinny or off in his relationships with people. He can't put his finger on it. He occasionally has a real connection with someone. But when that, when that has happened, that person suddenly disappears from his life. And he doesn't understand why. And he, he starts to, there, there's a, there's a light uh, like the, that they use on a TV set. There's a light that actually falls from the domed roof of the TV set that it falls in the middle of the street. And he's like, what is this? It's like, a, it's like if something fell from space. But yeah. this is a TV light that falls from space. So he's starting to wonder, what is this? And pretty soon he realizes, hey, I think my life is totally false that everyone in my life is, is not really who, they're, who they say they are. And I think that there's cameras everywhere. And he does, still doesn't know what this is about completely, but he knows that he can't stand living there any longer. And uh, the thing is that the people in his life, and, and unbeknownst to him, the director and producer of the show, they have conspired to make everything in his life good. He has been given everything that we always wished for to make our lives happy. He has a stable job, a great income. He can uh, buy what he wants to. He has a nice car. He, he has a wife. Um, he does not have children, but he has a happy life, free of fear, free of anxiety. He doesn't have any of the problems that a normal person has. And yet he's missing something in his life so profoundly that by the, toward the end of the film, he's willing to risk everything, including his life, to escape from this place. So what he does is he fools the producers uh, into thinking that he's asleep in his house and he actually steals away and steals a boat that's uh, on the shore. So the, the town that he lives in is on the seashore, but he's been told he can never go too far in the sea because his father was on a, on a boat and it was capsized and his father drowned to death. So the producers have planted this fear in him of the ocean. And so they don't want him to go very far because, of course, the ocean doesn't go as far as it looks it does. Mm -hmm. So, but Truman steals a boat and uh, he, he starts to sail away to see how he can escape this world. And it's not until he's uh, well into the, the water that the producers realize he's fooled them. And so they, they see him on the camera and they start live streaming what he's doing. And... Uh, they decide they have to stop him before he can get to the edge of the set. So they cook up a huge storm, 
which ends up capsizing uh, Truman's boat and he almost, almost drowns. Uh, but he survives and he decides to continue on. Well, now the producers are like, oh, we almost killed him on live, live TV. We can't do that again. So let's just play this out and see what happens. And Truman ends up sailing his ship to the edge of the dome and the front of his ship kind of crashes into the, the wall of the dome. And he's like, oh my gosh, there's a wall over my whole world. And he's disoriented and he starts pounding against the wall, trying to get out and he can't. And finally he sees that he can get out of his boat and walk on the edge of the wall of the dome. So, and so he starts to do that to explore what he can find. And, he's, and he finds a hidden staircase. And he walks up the staircase and there's a door that says exit on it. So Truman punches open the door and it's open. And he's like, uh, I can escape this world now. And it's right at this point that the director and producer enters in and talks to him out of the clouds, out of the sky. It's like the voice of God talking to him. So I thought it'd be good to just listen to this and then we'll talk about it for a second. Here we go. You can speak. I can hear you. Who are you? I am the creator of a television show that gives hope and joy and inspiration to millions. Then who am I? You're the star. Was nothing real. You were real. That's what made you so good to watch. Listen to me, Truman. There's no more truth out there than there is in the world I created for you. Same lies. The same deceit. But in my world, you have nothing to fear. I know you better than you know yourself. You never had a camera in my head. You're afraid. That's why you can't leave. It's okay, Truman. I understand. I have been watching you your whole life. I was watching when you were born. watching when you took your first step. I watched you on your first day of school. <laughs> the episode when you lost your first tooth. <laughs> you can't leave, Truman. Please, God. You belong here. Talk to me. Say something. Well, say something. You're on television. You're live to the whole world. So you see the whole world watching this live to see what Truman's going to choose. And they're all on the edge of their seats. And he turns. In case I don't see ya. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> yeah. And then Truman bows, and he turns, and he walks through the door into what? He doesn't know. He just knows he can't live here anymore. And then the scene continues on where the, all of those watching this are just ecstatic, even though they've loved Truman all this time. Uh, and he, now the show's gonna be over. They're great, they're, they're just thrilled that he's found his freedom. So Lucy, a couple of quick questions here about this story. It's a, let's treat it as a parable. So if he's living a life that's guaranteed comfort and security, uh, well, what's the source of his unrest, do you think? What, why, if he has everything we, all, we say we want, why would he risk so much 
to escape that? Because um, I think I think we as humans crave authenticity, and there's nothing authentic about the life he's living. Everything is fabricated um, and plastic. Even at the, even at the risk of pain, you're saying. Yeah, I think we crave yes, real realness and authenticity, and would rather have that than fake. Like I think most people say they would rather have somebody be real and say something straight to them that might be hard, rather than that person kind of being fake nice to them, and they can tell it's all it's all fake. Yeah, the fakeness creates anxiety. Like, and it doesn't yeah. build. It doesn't build trust. Therefore, it doesn't build intimacy. Yeah. So yeah. the director here, Chris, the, the character's name is Christoph. The director, who is like God to Truman, it's like the voice of God coming to him. He says that he loves Truman. So, yeah. how would you contrast the way Christoph loves Truman relative to how Jesus loves us? What What's the difference between the the two ways? The, the way well, Christoph loves. When Christoph says, "Like I love, I love you, Truman," it feels off for me because right after he says that, he says, "You aren't allowed to leave. Like this is where you belong," and that is a statement that is very constricting hmm. or restrictive. That's the word. It's very restrictive, and it's, um, it's saying, "I love you," but, um. Like, I'm not going to give you the freedom to live your own life. And yeah. that seems like a contradiction. Whereas with Jesus, um, you know, the whole, um, the whole point of being able to choose to um, sin or not to sin or choose to believe in Jesus or not to believe in Jesus comes down to Jesus' love for us. Um, if we felt like Jesus, like this director, was like, saying um you know i love you but you can't you have you have to do you 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 have to believe in me that would produce a a need to like rebel and would not come off as a true love yeah or even i love you but i'm going to script your life yeah so make sure that you never have the possibility of real pain i'm going to script your life yeah so make sure of it there is what would you be missing if 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 God was actually like that, if yeah. that's what he did, what would you be missing? Isn't that what we say we want? Well, I think, Dad, we were talking about this the other day, how the wisest people we know in our lives are the people that have experienced the most pain. Hmm. And the fruitful um, good that comes out of deep pain is deeper, is wisdom, um, is deeper ability to connect with others and to care for others. Um, the ability to stand strong amidst like challenges, the ability to know yourself better, all those things oftentimes can only be created through hardship. And so yeah. you miss an entire like depth to yourself if you never experience hardship. Yeah. And we have at our, at our base level a craving for realness and authenticity because we were yeah. made for intimate relationship yeah. and scripted robotic uh, choices or the, even our ability to choose what we think is the right thing right now also is a form of control that can keep us from the kind of relationship we were created for. I thought it'd be interesting to get, because we started off this podcast by saying that this is called yes, no, maybe, and that Jesus has all of these options available to him in his relationship with us. That'd be interesting to just touch on a, a couple of, of uh, encounters Jesus has and maybe a, uh, something that Paul talked about uh, and answer the question, why is no sometimes a reality in our relationship with Jesus? Why is no an acceptable even part of our relationship with Jesus? So let's take a look at some of those and ask ourselves that question as we read these. So let me do the first one. This is Matthew 7, 7 through 12. The question is, why is no sometimes a reality in our relationship with Jesus? So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Um, Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. 
You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that's taught in the Law and the Prophets. So here, Lucy, uh, um, this is an odd one to do a little bit because he's yeah. really saying yes, yes, yes. But right. where do you see that no is a reality in our relationship with Jesus in this little passage? So there's the part that says, like, for everyone who asks, receives. Just because we receive something doesn't mean we receive the answer or the exact outcome we want. Mm. Um, yeah, so we might ask and we might receive, but if we've asked, you could turn this around and say, if we've asked for a stone and he gives us bread instead, we might not think, hey, I asked for a stone though. I mean, he's really <laughs> saying a parent really knows what's good. So when a child asks us for something that isn't good, um, then the parent is not going to give it to them right or it might not be right when you ask it it might you know it might be later on in your life um and i think we often want like you know we want to ask and then we immediately want to see the results and sometimes that's that's not how god works god is not a god of time in that way like he's not constrained by time and he's 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 relaxed with time um so i think yeah there's this this idea of he might not give us the response we want or the thing we originally wanted. Um, yeah. And, but, and but that, that would be, difficult. that would be in the category, I think also of maybe, or even yeah. wait, if it's a maybe it's well, maybe, but not right now. He hasn't closed the door to it, but he's asked us to trust him to wait. And that maybe that's a maybe instead which can be more frustrating actually than a yes or a no if you're caught in the middle of that and you're in the waiting room. And um, I think the, the key thing with this passage though is God does not turn a deaf ear to us or doesn't just leave us hanging. So like, yeah. we might not be given the response we want or the thing we want, but he's not just going to walk away with us empty handed. Yeah. Let's look at something that Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians, where he's talking about his relationship with Jesus and how no plays a role in that relationship. And let's answer the question, and why is no sometimes a reality in our relationship with Jesus? Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you'll also share in the comfort God gives us. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he'll continue to rescue us and you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. So here's the question. What, well, how, would, how is Paul answering this question? Why is no sometimes a reality in his relationship with Jesus? And by extension, in our relationship with Jesus, what did you see there, Luz? Well, I think it goes back to what I said earlier with the fact that people that have experienced great hardship um, are able to come alongside other people better. Um, so um, my freshman year of high school, um, I s survived a school shooting. And um, though that was an extremely difficult experience from that, I have over and over again had people come into my life that ex have experienced trauma that I've been able to walk alongside in such a better capacity 
because I understand deeply what they're going through. Um, so the comfort you were given by Jesus in the midst of your, that's definitely not a choice you would have made in a would you rather situation, but, right. but it was sort of forced upon you. And, but you're saying the comfort you got from Jesus, you can now pass on to others. Right. And I've seen it be healing in other people's lives because um, regardless of the trauma you go through, you have, you feel similar things. And so to have somebody else that says, I understand what that feels like can be freeing. And then at the bottom, it says, um, but this happened that we might, we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. And I think that goes back to also people have experienced hardship, have great wisdom. And um, I think wisdom oftentimes comes from us relying on God over ourselves. And when we're living in a perfect world where we don't, nothing goes wrong, it's very easy for us to explain away a reason for God. And or even or even just fundamentally trust ourselves. Exactly. We don't have any reason. It, and that that's the other thing about this too, that when we're in trouble or things are not going our way or when the would you rather choice is taken away from us, um, this is the opportunity where real trust happens because when the vending machine doesn't spit out what we thought it would, then we have to, then we're, we're pushed to trust the heart of him instead of simply his ability to deliver to us what he wants. The right. story you told about your friend, um, when God doesn't deliver the healing that you think that he should, and we abandoned him, it's because we never understood or embraced his heart in the first place. That, right. that, our, that darkness, our relationship with him is built on, is he going to provide what I need? Or is he going to provide goodness for me all the time? And of course, that's human to want those things. We all do, right? Yeah. Sitting here right now, we want those things. But I think what makes us dangerous in the kingdom of God is that when we learn to trust in the middle of a season of no, hmm. we learn to trust him yeah. and not just learn to trust him, but act as though we trust him. Even in a season of no, this is, this is when you pull your big boy pants on. This is, <laughs> this is when you become seriously a threat. In the, uh, for, on behalf of the kingdom of God in the world, because how can you be leveraged when you've said, I'm in a season of no, but I love him anyway, and I'm going to follow him anyway. I'm going to trust him as best I can anyway, even though I'm heartbroken and struggling and all of the things that are human, I'm going to keep walking with him anyway. That is dangerous when that happens. And that's I know what I think you call being ruined for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do call that <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that is exactly what the enemy does not ever want, because how are you supposed to infiltrate, a, you know, a person if they're experiencing hardship and they're still praising God? That doesn't make sense to the devil because he yes. doesn't see anything deeper than a transactional relationship. Yeah, and it proves, it proves him wrong also right. when this happens. It, 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 uh, it debilitates his case against humanity right. when this happens. Now, I know you got to head out to work here, but let's just do one last one and then feel free to take off after <laughs> I've read this. And you. So let's read one last one from Matthew 20, 20 through 23. Um, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We're able. Well, Jesus told them, well, you'll indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or left. My father's prepared those places for the ones he's chosen. So, again, why is no sometimes a reality in our relationship with Jesus is the question here. What do you see in this little bizarro encounter of a Jewish mother trying to trying to make sure her sons get the, the, their rightful place next to Jesus. So where is, where is no reality here? What, what do you learn from this one? Yeah, I think, well, it reminds me of sometimes the times he talks with, his Pharise with the Pharisees or like the rich young ruler, and they think they've got it all together. And he says something that kind of rocks their world to remind them of their place a little bit. Mm. Um, because for them to say, for him to ask, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they say, yep, we can. 
is such a naive, like arrogant, ignorant thing to say. Um, yeah. Not realizing the gravity of what Jesus means. And um, it reminds you again that about his metaphor for who we are and who he is. We are sheep. And this is definitely sheepish behavior here, right. where the sheep really doesn't understand what's best for them. Right. And Jesus is a good shepherd. He's looking out for his sheep. He understands things the sheep don't. And he's asking us not for us to figure everything out, but for us to trust him that he always has our best um, at heart, even when things don't appear to be going our way or even that we experience trauma. We, we, that he's asking us to trust his, the heart of the good shepherd, because right. we are like sheep. Sometimes we just don't understand what's going on. Right. And I think to go back to this example of the shooting I went through, the amount of people I talked to after the shooting that would have never talked to me about Jesus, but started talking about Jesus with me was crazy. Everyone all of a sudden was like, I need to go to church. I'm praying. Like we're going to, you know, we're going to have a group to pray. And it came from this realization of, oh my gosh, do I really want to be in control of my life? Like, do I really would rather have someone that's bigger than me, that knows better than me, um, be a part of my life and be directing me. As long as you're convinced of the goodness of that one's heart. Right. Right. That, that's, that's really where that's everything comes down to it. Yeah, it is the crux of it. If we don't know how good his heart is, of course we'll live in dissonance all the time and wondering and doubting. And so the, the, our real path is to do whatever it takes for us to really taste and see and experience the goodness in Jesus's heart so much so that it becomes part of our bones, that even right. when things are at their worst, we can't bring ourselves to think that he's not good. Therefore, yeah. that carries us through the, the darkness right. of that season of no. It's a constant narrative of God is good. So whatever's happening, I'm going to see this through the lens of God is the ultimate form of goodness. And maybe not for 10 years, 15 years. Well, I understand how he was good. Right. I'm just somehow, this is why Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who don't see, but still mm -hmm. believe. Jesus right. is really being real there. He's saying, Wow. You are really blessed if you can believe even when you don't see. Because I get it. Human beings want to see to believe. Right. But if you can't see it and you still believe, wow. That's what Jesus is trying to say. And, and like with these two brothers that said, yes, we can drink that cup. It might have not been until, you know, they get to heaven and they realize, oh, that's what drinking from the cup means? Taking on all the sins of the world? Oh, that's why Jesus said no. There's no way I could have handled that, but they might not have been able to have that foresight until they, until they'd gone to heaven. Yeah. So good. So Luce, if you need to go off to work, go yeah, ahead. I'm going to have to head off to work. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to close off with here with a, I don't know if you heard this song uh, by Mumford and Sons called There Will Be Time. Have you heard yes, that? Song? I love that song. I oh. introduced it to Emma. So no matter what she says, I knew about it first. Emma's her little sister, yes. And Emma <laughs> did introduce it to me. And I'm going to close off the, the podcast today with just a few of the lyrics from this song. I think uh, uh, we'll, we'll put a link to this song on, the, on our podcast page. So if you want to go see a, a video of a live performance of this song, the very first time Mumford & Sons performed this song in South Africa, we'll put a link to that on our podcast page. But it's called uh, There Will Be Time. And I thought I'd just read some of the lyrics from this because it really expresses the, the essence of what Lucy and I have been talking about. Here's how the song goes. In the cold light, I live to love and adore you. It's all that I am. It's all that I have. In the cold light, I live. I only live for you. It's all that I am. It's all that I have. So open up my eyes to a new light. I wandered round your darkened land all night. But I lift up my eyes to a new high, and indeed there would be time. But in the cold light, I, I live to love and adore you. It's all that I am. It's all that I have. And in the cold light I live, I only live for you. It's all that I am. It's all that I have. I just love the message of this song. It's so simple, 
but what they're what they're saying here is in the in the seasons of my life where I live in the cold light, I only live to love and adore you because it's all that I am anymore. It's all that I have anymore. I, it, this is really what it means to be ruined for Jesus is that in that cold light, you still can't stop yourself from living to love and adore him. And that uh, in their second stanza here, they say, I open my eyes to a new light. I wander around the darkened land all night, but I lift up my eyes to a new high. So he's talking about what it means to live in a season of no, where we're wandering around the darkened land all night. And in the midst of the wandering, we lift our eyes up to something that is higher than we've experienced before. And that's exactly what happens in these dark seasons of our life. We lift our eyes up higher. And because of that, we experience something we've never experienced before. It's a kind of intimacy with Jesus that you can't get when everything goes right or when everything in the would-you-rather engine goes your way. You can't experience this kind of intimacy when that happens. And that's exactly why Truman leaves in the end. He is drawn to something higher. He just doesn't know what it is. So he wanders around in his darkness until he risks everything to find that something higher. And that is the life Jesus is calling us as to as well. And when he says no or maybe, there is something deeper that is possible to happen in our heart and in our relationship with him that we will find strength from as we, as we go on in our life. All right, gang, thanks for listening today. Again, this is paying ridicul ridiculous attention to Jesus.com. This is season five, episode 10. You can go to paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com and find the link to this episode. Um, and uh, you can find the link to this scene from the Truman Show if you'd like to see that. Um, or the song from by Mumford and Sons if you'd like to see the whole thing. That's where you can find the link. So, um, and if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode. So gang, we'll uh, tackle another foundational question in the next episode. We'll talk again next time. 